is beautiful. Every color is powerful. Every color is worthy. Try to bury us. They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari, and this is Salt the Podcast, a series of encounters with inspiring women. They're healers, activists, mothers, educators, and world changers. Together, we create community, share knowledge, amplify voices, heal, and break narratives by elevating a new generation. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My guests today are Amira, Phoebe, and Zainab from Empower Her Voice, EHV, a global community-based platform for women, non-binary people, and all those who have suffered the effects of misogyny. The voices they platform have been marginalized or silenced in society, and EHV strongly believes that those who are on the margins of representation are in the best position to critique this dominant image. Their fundamental belief is that no person or community should be spoken for or sidelined, and their platform works hard to prevent this erasure of voices. I met Amira, Phoebe, and Zeynep last summer when I signed up for EHV's summer internship program. The title of today's talk is Empower Her Voice and is part of the overall topic elevating a new generation that is feminist and anti-racist. We will speak about EHV, feminism, allyship, who has been our salt, and much, much more. Welcome to all three of you. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. So excited to be here. Um, so let's start with our first question, the traditional one. Who are you? Who is Phoebe? Who is Amira? Who is Zainab? Um, if we go in that order, hi, I'm Phoebe. Um, I am one third of the directors. I'm currently in London doing a master's. And uh, I'm Amira. I'm uh, number two out of the three. And I'm also currently doing my master's, um, but uh, here in Cambridge. And um, yeah. I'm Zainab, um, number three out of three, I guess. Um, <laughs> I am based in London as well. I currently work in tech and I studied physics at uni. You gave us very little information about yourself. So I, I want to know a little oh bit God. more. But it's like opening Pandora's box. It's like, where do I go? It's the bios. We, we just got to like memorize yeah. our bios. <laughs> so maybe Phoebe, what kind of masters are you doing? So I'm doing international relations um, because my kind of life goal, I've worked a little bit in the Middle East um, in development and I really want to go back and work on foreign policy there. So that's what I'm focusing on now. Okay. And Amira? Yeah, I'm. Uh, so my master's is very like humanities based. Um, so at the moment, I'm studying a lot of um, like critical and post-colonial theory. And that's been incredibly useful with the work I've done in the past, um, especially and, and work I'm still doing at the moment with uh, like working as a an interpreter for people who are either from parts of the you know, uh, Middle East, uh, Farsi speaking, or parts of like Latin America, Spanish and Portuguese speaking. Um, and yeah, just to understand as well, sort of difficulties of like cultural translation as well as just like translating just like the everyday pragmatics of like language and communication, like the difficulties of kind of like being displaced and living elsewhere and feelings of like rootlessness and stuff that like, And yeah, it's it's just been uh, really sort of, you know, great to have kind of a more like theoretical backdrop to people's like everyday particular experiences uh, to kind of, you know, make sense of it all. Yeah, because you also worked in Greece, right? With the refugees, you were in Colombia before, correct? Yeah, so this was like a year ago now, I think was when I was in Athens um, and I was just working quite a lot, mainly doing... Um, sort of legal advice like a point of information specifically for like people had really tricky legal cases to do with their asylum and they didn't have enough support obviously for I mean obviously the Greek government <laughs> offers no support um but the EU 
doesn't really offer that much support anyway. Most of the things that they're doing is just like creating barriers to kind of slow down um, people people coming through rather than actually creating like systemic change. So then it falls on like grassroots activists who, are, you know, are well-intentioned, but are battling this like really small, small battle on, on what is like a much, much greater war. So like sometimes it often feels like your contribution isn't really making that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. Um, but it's it's still the good thing about languages and offering yourself as someone who can mediate between two different languages is that it's like it's quite a practical thing. It's like a tool that you can kind of offer to people that's kind of been my consolation as opposed to just like wishful thinking and and just like kind of helping but not really like it being so abstract that like you're not actually doing that much that much like you're not creating that much change really um so yeah no it was a good it was really instructive that time actually so and I've kind of been able to use a lot of those experiences now with my master's so it's been uh, it's been good nice nice okay we will get to know you throughout the interview, so I'm not going to push for any more information at the moment. But let us actually talk about Empower Her Voice, because this is the organization you founded. This is um, what we want to talk about today. So tell us about Empower Her Voice, its history, mission. What does it mean to you? Amira, if you want to, I mean, Amira was the actual like original uh, I'll get <laughs> thinker of Empower Her Voice as a concept. So, Well, Truth, truth be told, it obviously there is no, there is no iron team. Obviously, so you know, it 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 before it became anything, it was it was a a, a group a group activity. But yeah, it, it essentially came from um, coming back from doing some volunteering at a um, women's shelter in Tehran, and a lot of these girls had uh, witnessed very very serious. Um, physical and emotional abuse and it was to a scale that I had never kind of heard of or seen before and it really struck me when I came back that we in in the west in in the privileged spaces that we were in um had you know the luxury of just like complaining about homework whereas like the same girl from the same country in the, not the same girl but like someone from the same country as me with the same you know right to vote in that country is suffering these incredible circumstances that are just that's just invisible to us here so ha that kind of led I think me and Phoebe had started discussing that at one point just kind of walking along the corridor we're talking about what what our input could actually be from the, on this side of the world. And Phoebe suggested, well, we, I wanted to do something like fundraising and Phoebe suggested we do a line of t-shirts um, and sell them and uh, fundraise for this charity. And so we, um, you know, spent some time thinking about the name and empower her voice came out and the first set of t-shirts were just like, this kind of like <laughs> really tragic design of like Ariel, you know, Microsoft 2004. The most Amira design you've ever seen in your life. It's literally <laughs> Ariel font on Microsoft Word. And that was it. It's so Amira. It's brilliant. <laughs> it was, it was just like, it, it, it says the name, like this is as good as it gets. Like I'm not going to put enough effort into it. So like, this is, this is what I, my message to the world. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that I think that's kind of how the name and stuff began but our ethos has kind of begun as being centering on you know empowering voices and giving a platform or, and a space for women or um um self-identifying women and non-binary people to have a space to share their experiences but I would say that the last six years that we've done it what that actually means and how that is put into practice has been definitely like a learning experience for us. And we have started with one kind of vague value, an abstract value that we uphold, but putting that into practice in all of the different ways that we have so far is, um, I think that's, for me anyway, that's been, that's been one of the best things that's come out of it was that, that there is just so much that 
is implicated in what when you're talking about people's experiences and vo- and voicing and whose voice you know do you represent and how do you do it so all of these questions are extremely important and luckily we're, we <laughs> we are always asking ourselves that um i hope at least but um but yeah that was that was the very beginning um i guess i can chat a little bit about what's happened more recently i guess so for context i'm at Amira at uni we were placed kind of by accident in rooms very close to each other so met literally on the first day um and then i think a few months later we got talking about similar ideas or a similar conversation to what Amira was just describing of her and Phoebe chatting about of i don't know just like volunteering experiences and feminism and women and i think so at oxford there's so few people of color even fewer women of color so if you're kind of two international like the only two international students in your year <laughs> that's probably a bit of an exaggeration but um two of very few women of color in our year at the university and there's certain experiences that you have in common just because you moved through the world in in those bodies i guess um so we were just chatting and then amira spoke about empower her voice at school and in addition to the fundraising work that had happened there were sort of speaker events so just like asking students or members of staff or anyone around who has a passion that they want to speak about um to speak and i think it's it's very little organization on our part i mean we just find three willing speakers um find a venue and put an event out on social media and make sure it's free and as accessible as possible um so we ran an event like that in january of 2017 um that was our very first one in oxford and we sort of went from there and continued the speaker events continued the fundraising stuff and i think we'll probably get onto this a bit later but as ehv developed the projects that we were involved with developed as well because also we grew up a lot as one would expect between age 16 and 24 um so that's definitely informed the work that we've done and at the same time as me and amira working in oxford Phoebe was at Duke so with that I can hand over to her. <laughs> I love how synthesized we are on this it's brilliant you can tell how many times we've done this same chat. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah I think it it spreads with all of us kind of going to our diverse array of universities and it's spread even more now in the sense that um so I run the array of different teams that we've got and we've now got I think around nearly 13 different teams at, at universities in the UK abroad and also schools. Um so our our kind of mission is to keep that going because we our message is only as strong as the people who are part of the community and I think the more people we involve in the community the stronger and more interesting the message gets. Um and also by default the fundraising that we do gets more and more kind of specialized and diverse. So um we like to include the teams in deciding who we donate our money to during the year and we also do specialized projects with different um organizations like we've just done with Galup Uganda um which has been amazing but we are just growing and diversifying in ways that i don't think me in america could ever have imagined at the age of um sweet old 17 <laughs> um but i think it's also it's a forum and a platform but it's also a community and that has been such a strength um as we've diversified and grown mm. as well and we've had such fascinating conversations which Stella I know you've been part of where it's it's like the feminist theory that you read about in the newspapers or that you learn about in your academic lectures and we're applying that theory mm. so conversations on how do you deal with cultural values which are different depending on women's rights on sexual health on education how do you bridge those gaps and forge relationships when your differences should prevent you from doing so or historically have prevented you from doing so um and i think as of recent those conversations have been the ones which have been so fascinating but also so necessary um 
given the status quo, Amira wrote a really beautiful paragraph that we shared when we were fundraising for Girl Up Uganda, which was emphasising, you know, in the current socioeconomic downturn, and girls' education is the last thing that people are really focusing on. Women's health is, remains the most underfunded area of medicine. And um, as we look into the abyss of post-COVID, the issues we're going to continue to tackle are super important. And it's just trying to keep that energy alive. And it's people like you, Stella, who have come in with such an amazing array of experiences and energy that have really helped us kind of forge that path. Thank you, Phoebe. Thank you for... Um, your inf- for the information. We've already touched a little bit on the project, actually, because you have so many different projects that you're working on. It's incredible. It is really incredible when I hear you saying we started at the age of 17. It was just an idea that came up at uni and you've grown into what you've grown into. And I see a very bright future for all of you because, yeah, it's just amazing what you do. And there are so many different projects you're working on. So Can you share with us a few of those projects? Um, I reckon, so yeah, so Zainab, uh, you know, was talking about our um, events and talks and stuff, which is probably like this kind of, that was one of the main strands that we operated on. And by extension to that, we've also been doing uh, workshops in our like summer program and looking to do a few more of those in the coming months. Um, But those are incredibly useful the the talks and uh, workshops and just speaker events in general because again it's about creating a space for these kinds of ideas and these kinds of experience to to come and and be heard by people and it's it's quite a unique atmosphere I'd say in our physical events um, the most the re- recent one we had was on climate change and again like like Phoebe was saying, it's so inspiring when you invite someone to speak who has spent like three or four years of their university time researching all of the, you know, potential creative sustainability, um, you know, options that we've got for our future. And, and like just watching someone like that be on stage and talk with so much excitement about what our future holds, talking about how we need to fundamentally redesign everything around us and make it more like sustainable and eco-friendly. I think that kind of energy is really, you can feel it in physical spaces when you have an actual speaker, but that's not to say that the virtual talks as well are, are not, are not productive and useful because it's, it's common sense obviously that if you're if you want to invite a speaker from the other side of the world it's much more effective for you to have virtual events and obviously with covid we were pushed into virtual events anyway so we actually started to utilize the virtual space as quite a um a valuable site for um for for dialogue on on a global scale which is one of the things that we're always trying to reconcile um you know it's it's really difficult to, as Phoebe was saying, with all this theory, like it's it's really it's really harmful if you if you just adopt one. And I will obviously we'll come to speak on like feminisms later on, but it's really harmful to have one really strict um, Eurocentric Western understanding of feminism and then just like impose it on girls, um, you know, empowerment in in the global South or the quote unquote third world. Um, it, it can be really destructive. Um, so it's these are questions that are really, really sensitive. And it's really important now that we're transitioning onto this global space that, that we feel is so vital to our work, that we really just are very, very reflexive and uh, as in reflect our own position and again, who it is that we're representing and why and what and how we are doing that. Um, but that's a bit about the talk events. Um, and then I'm just going um, to talk about the um, big sisters as well. It, and yeah, it's that one's a kind of byproduct of wanting to achieve that goal of having a global network that connects us with um, girls, you know, around the world. And we've been doing those on, you know, uh, over Zoom, just have kind of workshops with girls. Now, at the moment, we're working specifically with girls in uh, Colombia from the Santa Maria Foundation. Uh, and we do series of workshops on um, 
female or self-identifying female artists, uh, musicians uh, from around the world, but also um, looking crucially at Latin American um, artists and how they are um, creating or cultivating a particular non-Eurocentric um, body of knowledge that is something that the girls in Colombia could potentially identify themselves more readily with than like, I don't know, some like French surrealist, like woman painter who like, <laughs> it's just like painting about like existentialism. Like that's so not useful for her. Like that's, that's so alien. And just like, again, that is harmful and dangerous feminism. Um, so, so yeah, that's the big sisters project. And uh, the big sisters project as well is also again, an exercise in trying to um, democratize all of these spaces that we are creating, where we were hoping to bring in all of this different body of knowledge from these wonderful um, women who we've invited on stage. But like, crucially, we want that to be available to people who aren't able to make it in those spaces, like, like the quote-unquote little sisters um, who are part of our community. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's very important to make that knowledge accessible but again um this is one of the things that i think we have kind of one of the big challenges now for us is whether it's possible to um say have all of these different voices and all of these different ideas and experiences on one platform which is let's say our website um but some of the information that's on there is uh, reflective of a kind of white feminism that may be com- too too harmful for girls you know so for example if a girl um who could very feasibly part of our, be part of our community who's from a sort of rural um or, or sort of kind of conservative area of Uganda if she's on our network and if if you're on our network you're by definition you have access to everything that we have to offer on it but if she comes across like a podcast or an article that is about um having sex on your period or like something that's like there are some there are some aspects of like female experiences that is just like completely it's 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 way far out like it's not even imaginable for these girls but then you can't say to them you can't put a restriction button on some of the bits of information that we've got there so it's it's really tricky you can't you they have to have access to everything but if they do have access to everything that's dangerous and harmful (laughs) so so i i don't know what the answer what the solution to that is basically there's also a mentorship program right yeah so that's I mean especially nationally like the I've been running the big sister for the past year or so and that's kind of been the biggest goal is because there is such a necessity nationally for tutoring assistance or just mentorship guidance especially with COVID there's some horrific statistics that they've noticed nationally a fallback for preteens that they now can't read like a like 20% increase in people who have lost the ability to read because of lockdown um and it's statistics like that which really have driven us to be like we have so many amazing self-identifying women and non-binary who have been so highly educated in our network who have so much to offer um and just using those connections even if it's just a one-on-one like we've got a school who reached out to me and said have you got somebody who could just cater this young woman who's going to apply to this university great yes of course we can it's you know we're not trying to solve a national crisis we're trying to offer one-on-one solutions that make small changes but we found over the last couple of months it's those small changes that actually make the most impact mm-hmm. um so that's exactly the kind of small role that we can play as a grassroots that is a lot more from my experience working for the UNDP it's it's those smaller connections which I actually find more um, rewarding than the kind of large million dollar project which takes 10 years and you never really know how much impact that's making amazing and you also did uh, lately this project um, disability in the arts right which I liked a lot can you share a little bit about it yeah so that was um, that was really good so one of our summer volunteers in fact two of our summer volunteers um really really lovely women called Brittany and Rosie um, worked on that together and they were quite keen so they're very sort of creative people quite keen on the arts um, but also interested in how um, 
art intersects with disability or other sort of parts of people's identity. And that's that's not something that you see very often. Um, so that was a, the Disability in the Art series was a really, really lovely project um, that Brittany and Rosie worked on together. And it sort of culminated in them putting out an open call for um, artists who identified as neurodivergent or differently abled. And those are featured on our Instagram and also our website. And I think it it, it was really good. Um, I really loved a lot of the stuff that came out of it. And then Brittany also worked on quite a similar project, which was focused on kind of disability in dance. Um, again, another intersection that isn't often spoken about or heard about, but I think dance as an art form can be so empowering and and just a really wonderful way of expressing yourself. Um, one ideas that we came up from, it wasn't that the three of us came up with a bunch of briefs and gave them to people. Like our ideas and all the content that goes on our website is entirely led by the people who write them, the names that you see next to them. And that's super important to us because there's only so much that the three of us have experienced, like their experience or the content that will go online will be so, so much richer um, the more people we get involved. So yeah, a big, a big shout out to all of our volunteers really, because I don't think the work that we do would exist at all if it wasn't for everyone else that we had on board. That's what I also really liked when I started volunteering for you in the summer you mentioned that in the in the first meeting that we had, this is a collaborative project. And uh, yeah, that was one of the reasons when, when I felt like, okay, I really love what they're doing. I'm going to commit for it. Like for me, it was so important that you mentioned it. And I saw that it's true. It was not just a buzzword that you used, <laughs> but that it's really based on the collaboration of many people. There is another project that I person, personally, yeah, it really touched me, Survivors Not Victims. I listened to, uh, yeah, on Instagram, you had a video where a girl was reading out actually the testimony or the, I don't know if you can yeah. use that word, of another girl that had been sexually abused. And uh, it was really, really hard for me to listen to it um, because of personal reasons, but also um, because I volunteered uh, in the past for an organization that combats human trafficking. And you always think like, you know about these things and you heard about it, but every time you hear about this, something happens to you. And to me, mm. it was like, wow, this is so tough. Um, can you share a little bit with us about this project? And also, it's very important that you're saying survivors, not victims, because a lot of yeah. people refer to people who have experienced sex sexual abuse as victims. Mm. So that was a project by our CRC team. Team. and Esme who was the president at the time was running that up and again like Zainab said this wasn't again something that we um, asked them to cover it was something that they came to us with an idea for and um, it was a situation where they received um, multiple narratives from uh, young women who had experienced sexual assault or abuse in a way and um, their whole narrative was that they would read them out um, from different perspectives so that we would reorient the narrative and, and pay more attention. Um, and because sometimes when narratives are from a certain person in society, they are easily ignored and it depends who that person is. But by doing that, they were using their privilege to assign importance to the story, which was unbelievable. And it's... Um, It's a practice that Esme and I talked about a lot. Uh, I did a couple of events at Duke when I was running in Power Voice there where it was all about survivors. So we would give the platform to survivors to tell their story if they were comfortable to do so. And it was really kind of a, a group process to work through those stories. So including the audience um, and important. And that was obviously establishing a safe space so that we could all grow from those stories and learn from them. Um, because sexual assault is something that sadly has not been in, improved in any way, shape or form. We know more about it now because of the Me Too movement, but I don't think there's been much progress in terms of learning how we move on from that societally, culturally, institutionally. Um, and it's something that another one of our volunteers, Zoe, who you've worked a bit with, Stella, um, 
has worked a lot on in her podcast series she's done recently to talk about the stories of sexual assault in and around London and young girls. So it's something that we need to keep working towards. Um, and I think there are more stories coming out from the LGBTQ community, especially and the trans community, which are just highlighting even further the fact that there are even more groups in society which need this work to, to happen really, really desperately. Thank you for actually everything that you do. It's it's so meaningful. Uh, we've already addressed it a little bit. Amira mentioned it, uh, feminism. <laughs> I think it's a word that it's so contested and so misunderstood. And it's definitely a movement that probably started the wrong way. <laughs> But there is a lot of improvement happening right now. What is feminism for you? Um, this is a really good question and it's like the reason why it's so good is it's 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 hard and so when I I was I've been thinking about this kind of a lot over the past few years or whatever it goes with the territory of uh, grassroots organization um, and I think it's f for me so for a bit of context I was always like the only girl in science classes during high school um did physics at uni, which was like 20% girls, um, which was, and those are good statistics. Like that's as good as it gets. And then now I'm working in tech, which again is super male dominated. Um, and throughout all of that, I think one thing that really struck me was that if I'd go to a talk um, uh, that was more academic or career focused, Often in scientific circles, the speakers would be all male, no like no questions asked. But then if there was a talk where there were female speakers, the talk was always titled something like being a female scientist or women in tech, like how do you navigate the space or diversity in professional environments or whatever. So, and that's quite, it's, it's a subtle difference um of when a guy speaks he can just talk about his achievements and his inspirations but when a woman speaks or a member of any other marginalized group the focus isn't the experience it's the identity so fem this is a really long-winded answer I'm sorry um but feminism for me is being able to do what you do and not having to qualify it with your gender and that's something that Amira and I talked about a lot in Oxford because when we started running Empower Her Voice events, we said that these these are spaces where you talk about your interests and passions and you don't need to say it if, if it relates to your identity and the way you move through the world. Obviously mention that, but don't feel like don't feel like you have to. Um, if you're if you're a scientist, you're just a really great scientist. If you're I don't know, if you're a DJ, you're just a really great DJ. Like you don't need to um, be the only woman in your industry to be good at that industry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And it's, it's always, I think it always, it, it's going back to a question that is so important nowadays is like, what kind of feminist activism are you going to do? Is it going to be purely performative? Is it going to be purely image-based Or is there actually going to be something behind the image, something that's actually meaningful? And yeah, I think my my battle with feminism has has start, started with school because sometimes you're quite reluctant to like use the the word oh I to say I'm a feminist. It's actually something I don't think I've ever really like gone out and said it or, or made it part of my you know research or part of my personal identity or anything because it's so fraught with issues and um personally what I really really admire about feminism or feminisms in general is that it's it's constantly changing and it's constantly evolving and not to say that it's like completely groundless but it's always productive like across so many different disciplines when you bring in when you ask the feminist question or you when you bring the gendered question into the arena it opens up all of this new ground like this new territory and you know anything from uh the 
the, the hidden bias in data um, that the, the gendered the gendered bias in in data to um, feminist cities uh, f- like gendered architecture to you know across the humanities and the sciences basically like it's it's always interesting to ask these questions it's always fruitful um, but that's not to say as well that again like I said at the beginning it can also be destructive because it's sometimes I think what we really really need to make sure we're doing and we've touched on the on the question of intersectionality but this is it's so important nowadays when we live in this globalized work a world of you know interconnected economic social communication networks um that we're not going for this grand theory of a narrative of feminism that is like totalitarian in in the way that in its belief and it and in, in its praxis it's it really shouldn't there, there shouldn't be one version of feminism because there isn't there isn't one version of women obviously and this is where intersectionality comes in because intersectionality isn't just saying recognizing that there are differences um, in parts of the world where girls still do not have equal access to education they still do not have women still don't have equal pay um you know we can we can discuss in seminars the you know various subtleties and implications of um gender in you know a medieval text and that's quite interesting and that's quite like radical and feministy but like that's that's a really small little thing that we're doing like compared to the much much greater issues that also fall into the bracket of feminism um so yeah be being a feminist requires constant work and it requires constant reevaluation and always expanding your own understanding of of what feminism means so it's that's why it's so cool is because it's constantly evolving um, but yeah totally and you mentioned when you talked about ehv actually so many things that are very feminist like you said we have to be accountable who are we that we are producing the knowledge who are we speaking for you just said intersectionality feminism to me has to be intersectional and it's also about the power relations right we always have to analyze the power relationship you say ehv has a social justice component for me that's very feminist so you're actually already doing so much that at least for me this is what feminism is about to be ref- self reflexive you're self critical and also recognizing that the needs that people in Europe have are completely different from the needs that people in Latin America have and they're different kinds of feminisms. So yes, thank you, Amira. Phoebe, do you want to add anything to it? Um, oh God, I have so much to say. Most recently, I think I have more critiques because I've just seen a flood of boys on Hinge who try and sell themselves as feminists to get women to like them. And I think that's just quite a good representation of the state of feminism in this day and age. Like the narrow conception of what it is um, in the dominant kind of culture, cultural hub of the world is just so narrow and slim and white and consumerist. And it's just really sad that that's what it's been co-opted to be. But like Amira said, um, I think just recognizing the context specific nature of it And the nuance, like one of the women I interviewed for the podcast was literally just unbelievable. Her name's Ebony Janine. She's a womanist scholar. And she taught me about, about womanism. I had no idea what womanism was before. And that's growing to become a section that's separate from feminism. But they, but Alice Walker, who conceived of the term, says obviously that womanism is to feminism as purple is to lavender. So it's not saying that the two are completely bifurcated. It's saying that, you know, there's feminism doesn't give us enough as, as women of color in America. I'm really sorry, but that's just not that's not what it is. And so for me, learning about that was such a nuance. Um, and I think that collectively, Amira Zainab and I have so many conversations where we say to each other, what we do is so much more than feminism. Thank you. I have a lot to say too, but I won't do it now because then we will be talking here forever. Um, I want to move from feminism to allyship. That's actually how I got to know Zena because I listened to your show about Maya Angelou on Hamam Radio. And before you actually started um, reading Maya and uh, yeah, introducing her to the audience, and that was also shortly after George Floyd was killed in the States, you started with notes about allyship. And of course, you also posted them on your Instagram. 
but I really fell in love with your voice and I fell in love with what you had to say. And I say, who is this woman? So I searched for you and then I found you on Instagram and then I found EHV. That's actually how I found you all. But it was amazing. And uh, can you share with us, with the audience, what is allyship and why is it so important? Yeah, for sure. That's so kind. I would say that about me. That's, <laughs> that's so, so heartwarming. <laughs> I'm just going to be smiling for the rest of 2020, despite lockdown, because you've said that. <laughs> um, so this is, this is, again, like another really big idea that's super, super interesting. Um, and I think basically in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, um, I remember talking to Phoebe and being like, we're not black people. So this isn't, this isn't, these issues of systemic racism obviously have an impact of people of color, but we need to recognize when we shouldn't be in the center of the conversation. So that was kind of lesson one. Um, and we also need to recognize that what we we can be allies and the importance of being allies is so important and i was thinking about this earlier today actually that if it's it's just it's bad that the the responsibility is always on the people who are most oppressed to lift themselves out of oppression and i don't know i mean if you think of an analogy if if somebody gets hurt or like twists their ankle or breaks their leg or whatever, and needs to go to hospital, you're not going to make them crawl to the hospital themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's probably an oversimplification. But if, if you have the power, and crucially, the power and the privilege to help in a struggle, that's not your own, but that you can make a tangible difference to, you, you have a social responsibility to use it. Um, you can't, there's a, there's a quote that was floating around Instagram um, loads um, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, which was by Desmond Tutu. And it was uh, to paraphrase, like if you're neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. Um, I think that's it from memory. I might, I might be wrong, but but that that's that's the thing. So a lot of people, I think, feel that oh, I'm I'm a bit apathetic. I'm a bit neutral. I don't I don't really care. And when you don't really care, what you're actually saying is that I'm privileged enough for these issues not to affect me. Um, and that's that's the sort of change of scales that needs to happen. And and similar to neutral, basically equaling not very good, being anti-racist, and I use the term anti-racist rather than not racist deliberately because it's an active thing to be anti-racist. It doesn't mean that you're an amazing person. It doesn't mean that it's like five gold stars, whatever. It's the absolute bare minimum because anything else is actively oppressive. So this, so, so that that's kind of, a summary slash brain dump of why allyship was so important. And it was, I think so many conversations that the three of us had was that we're three women who went to good schools, went on to top universities. The only thing that makes moving through society a bit harder for us is our gender. But in a lot of other ways, we're kind of incredibly privileged. And it's our duty to do as much as we can for people who lack certain privileges. And that's that's where allyship comes in. And then that sort of inspired a lot of, I guess, a lot of reading that the three of us did, a lot of even just like Instagram posts that we shared, because there was so much knowledge that was on social media that was really important to get out. Um, and just kind of working on ourselves, but crucially working on ourselves, not for the purpose of like self-improvement and just becoming better as an individual, working on ourselves and then putting that theory into practice. Um, so like kind of just like getting angry and then using that anger to actually do something, like have those difficult conversations at dinner tables with 
relatives who may say something a bit racist. Like, have, make sure you call people out if they make a joke about rape, stuff like that, which people don't often do, but it's so important to do. Like, if a guy calls out his friend who's made a joke about sexual assault, um, that is that friend is far more likely to listen to his to his male pal than a survivor. That's just how it works. So yeah, allyship is super important. And I, I don't think we can stress how important it is, you know. Yes, absolutely. And people sometimes think they need to go on a protest. They need to do something super extreme to be an ally. And they don't understand that, no, by putting your mother in place or talking to your neighbor or the way you raise your kids, this is already allyship and this is how you make a difference. As Phoebe said earlier, it doesn't have to be the large global scale. It's like, what can each of us do, right, to, to make a change, to make a difference? And I also always emphasize the term anti-racism because there are a lot of people saying, I'm not a racist. Yeah, okay, but it doesn't help me in any way. Are you doing anything about it? Or is it just making you feel good to say, I'm not a racist, but I leave it here and that's it, you know? And also understanding that racism is not just an individual thing, right? People sometimes think racism is about individuals who say stupid things to others. No, it's all there's systemic racism and it's real. And that's why it's also important to, to have allies around us. Yeah. Um, how can people get involved? How they can support you? I know you have an incredible support system in place. I just see it from your fundraisers. You put a goal out there and within a few weeks you reach that goal. But um, I know that you, of course, always need more support, more help. How can people help you and support you? The... Oh, actually, oh, no, Phoebe, so you, go you go. Oh, oh no, so um... this is what gets you nice when we say, <laughs> no, you go, you go. Um, if I talk about the Big Sisters and a few of the other projects that we're doing, so um, there are multiple opportunities for people to sign up to get involved in mentorship and provide to spread their knowledge and to provide, um, to be a mentor to other people who so desperately need um, assistance and developmental support. So the big sister is a really key way to do that. And just content, I think all of us have touched on experiences where we've had someone come to us and said, hey, I really want to do a podcast series. Um, can I put it on your platform? Or hey, I've written something and I don't really have the confidence to post it um, with my name on. Can I publish it anonymously with you guys? any content which people curate and want to share or an investigative project they want to do. Um, if people look on our website, they can see the huge array of stuff that we've done. Um, and even just sharing something on our Instagram or our socials, it's really a creative and open platform for anybody to utilize and make the most of really is what I would say in that regard. Yeah. I would also say that, so this, this year, how we met you Stella is we ran our kind of pilot summer program so that's just an eight-week-long program over the summer, and we organize talks, workshops, loads of events, and just kind of ways to get involved, and essentially just learning about volunteering and learning about theory and whatever for anyone who signs up. And the sort of other side of that is people who sign up um, end up contributing to the articles and podcasts and content that goes on the Empower Her Voice website. So it's a really sort of symbiotic thing. And that's that's another way people can get involved. And um, it sounds really simple, but just sh sharing our posts on social media is a massive thing. So I, I was listening to um, an Instagram story uh, that Michaela Loach, who's an amazing activist, was doing. And she said that It's, it's great when people have these big platforms and share stuff on said platforms, but usually the people who follow those platforms are people who would agree with those views anyway. So on a personal level, if our friends, even male friends, were to share an EHV post, that reaches kind of people who may not have seen it otherwise. And when you see something that somebody you automatically sort of trust, this is paraphrasing Michaela Loach, but when you see something that your friend has posted and you automatically trust them, you're more likely to engage with those views. So just kind of spreading that message is one thing that I'd say as well. Mm -hmm. And just a little thing as well, anyone more than welcome to join our efforts 
not restricted to just you know women and non-binary folks but boys can be part of the team too and actually we we need we need that, those perspectives to you know to to do our work as well so by by all means if you're a boy out there please um and if you want to join the team then you're more than welcome to <laughs> thank you so as you know my podcast is called salt who has been your salt who has inspired you i'm going to jump right on in here because when Very i first good. read this I knew what I was going to say straight off the bat and it's because I never get to say it to my other two co-directors because that's the world we live in. We're afraid to give praise to our good friends. And I sound really sarcastic saying that, but I think so often um, we're in a sad state of affairs where you ask young kids or at least when I talk to young cousins and family and say, who do you aspire to be? And they say the likes of Kimmy K or some kind of Instagram star and I kind of cringe and think, oh, but there's so many other great people around you. And I think... So often it's the ones nearest you who inspire you repeatedly and on a daily basis. And for me, most genuinely, I'm not trying to be cringy in saying this, it's Amira and Zainab have just perpetually inspired, re-educated and energised me. Amira has this ability to condense the most complicated theory and conceptions of the world into practical, actionable methods and it's been unbelievable to learn how to apply her magical brain to the world and the work we do and I've learned so much from her doing that mm -hmm. and Zainab has the capacity to be the most empathetic human being I've ever seen in my life whilst also having the work ethic of a just Trojan who just never stops it's actually unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> so most genuinely and most heartfelt in the most heartfelt way the two girls I run this organization with who are on this call are just the two bastions of inspiration who I always go back to without them really both realizing it oh, I, I I just want to I just want to cry now yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead I'm dead it's a dramatic effect <laughs> I've reached it I've reached oh, complete shit. life completion right now <laughs> This is this is what the sublime feels like. Oh my god! I'm just gonna run, run, run over to your flat, Phoebe. <laughs> and also AOC, if we're gonna drop it, because me and Z DM yeah. about her all the time. I was I was gonna say, in addition to Amira and Phoebe, obviously, <laughs> um, I'm always inspired by Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I think she is amazing. I would, when I, this is actually quite sad, but I remember when I was revising for my master's exams, I would just like listen to one of her speeches, take a little break and be like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> this is great. Um, I think, I think she's great for, for so many reasons, but I think something that's been lacking in politics is just sort of being self-aware, being critical of a, of the system that you're part of. I think that's really, really hard. And I think she does it so well. And also just the focus on climate justice and marginalized people. Little, so it's, well, it's not little things, but she very mindfully includes kind of LGBTQ people, trans people, people of color in her dialogues and in her speeches And stuff like printing out posters in languages that aren't English, things like that. It's just it's so kind of well thought through. And she's she's amazing. She's like unapologetically like doing her thing and and getting well, getting as far as she wants to and doing it from sort of a, such a kind of moral position. I'm super inspired. I think she's amazing. Yes, I agree. Amira. Um, well, I I would also, you know, it, it's a given that without without Phoebe and Zainab, I think I would just be a a bit of a lost uh, lost particle floating through space. <laughs> my my ultimate anchors and really just like as you know, like a nice little like net, a little hub that we've created around us. But I think fundamentally, it's because we really care so much about each other that I think you know. So many people have come and gone, but we're always, you know, it's the strength of the nuclear core, I think, that is is what's really, really special. Um, and that's it's just love. It's pure love. <laughs> but um, aside aside from from these two ladies, I think it, obviously it's a cliche, but it's um, 
I would I would definitely say that um, it's my mother uh, throughout all these years because she just I think the more like the more I've grown up the more I've kind of like recognized that there are some kind of attributes that she has that are just incredibly unique and incredibly special in the way that she just makes people feel very calm and makes people feel very comfortable and welcome and she listens and she doesn't impose her views and she just she's there and she's she's so present in every single moment with everyone and you know she she supported this this project from the very beginning and it just it it's it's really difficult to you know sometimes you like you're like okay I'm like an independent woman who's like I'm I'm like out in this in this big bad world and then you like and then you spend time with your mother and you're just like I'm still just like a little girl who like needs her mother and I think that's like that's that's one thing that you just can't do without is like you need that maternal connection and she just she's been so I I often think think that I wish that not that I wish, but I very actively tell myself sometimes like, okay, you need to be more like her. Like the, the way people react, react to her personality and, and just are naturally drawn, drawn to her. And because she just, she's, she's, she's she makes people feel so comfortable. I just, I, I really, yeah, I, I aspire to be like her <laughs> when I grow up. So yeah. She was like my second mama. At Beautiful. She was absolutely <laughs> epic, epic mm. human being. Yeah. I think all of us have been really lucky with the support we've gotten from our families. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, I will echo that for Amira's um. mom and my own mom. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and to whom do you want to pass the salt? What do you want to say to the younger generation? Honestly, um, this is really simple, and I'm. Uh, this may not win me a Nobel Peace Prize for a, a short statement, but I think just listen. Mm. <laughs> I think we're taught so often to be loud and speak our mind and be the presence in a space. But so often I think there's so much more power in listening. And I think recent times have shown us that listening is so desperately needed. Um, and whether like Amira just beautifully said, it's being present, like really present in a conversation and hearing what someone has to say, no matter who they are, that to me is the most powerful act that you can do um, in and of yourself. What, what I had originally um, thought when I saw this was um, that what we were discussing earlier about, you know, be small, think small. Your small actions and your particular gestures will have wider um, ripple, ripple effects. Um, but I think maybe what I would add to that as well is... Um, it sounds really hippie and cheesy, but like spread love and don't expect things in return. Just, just spread love and positivity and don't, don't expect people to, to do things for you or to say things about you and to you. And I think that that, it, it goes without saying, but it's just good karma, you know, just, just send out that good karma into the universe and, and good things will come your way. I think for me, it's, it's essentially don't be afraid to change your mind about things. Um, I feel like it's easy to get fixated on an opinion and not really grow from that. But I think one of the strongest characteristics and the, the, the only thing that really enables sort of personal growth, which you can then ripple out into your interactions with other people or whatever is being self-critical um, and not to the point of self-deprecation, but just be aware of what you're doing. Don't be afraid to criticize what you're doing. And as an extension of that, don't be afraid to criticize what the institutions you belong to are doing um, and make sure you sort of change your mind if you read something and um, encourage others to maintain that flexibility of thought. Do you have a question for me? I think something I've never actually asked you, but I, I've constantly told you that it just leaves me in awe every time I talk to you is your like endless zeal and like infectious energy for 
everything that you do. Like, I don't know if everybody in your podcast knows how much you do, Stella, but it's actually unbelievable what you do. And you manage four children at the same time, which I can't even conceptualize in my head. What is it that, where does that energy come from and what drives you to continue your self-growth and learning that I think is just unbelievably individual and unique? And we, us three talk about it all the time and get quite jealous and inspired by it. So where do I get that energy from? <laughs> I can give you, I think, different answers. I would say one of them goes back to my mother because my mother always told me life is hard, suck it up and just go for it. So she always told me you were born alone, which I don't agree with, and you're going to die alone. So you have to be <laughs> tough and you have to be a fighter. And this is how my mom kind of raised me. She put this kind of spirit into me. So this is uh, one answer to your question. But of course, it's also life, um, things that I've been through, things that I witnessed. And I'm someone, it's not just what happened to me, but I also always look what happened to other people. So I have a lot of empathy and compassion. And I would also say I have the sixth sense. And I've always had this kind of social justice thing inside of me um, that I'm not just here to sleep, eat, enjoy myself and then die one day. I truly believe um, I'm here to, to do something and I think we all can do something. So that's another thing that really, really drives me that I have this passion of, of, of doing something. And I love learning. I'm very, very much into learning. And I don't just mean learning at university, learning from you, learning from my kids. My parents always told me, you can learn something from everybody. Everybody will teach you something. And um, that also gives me, gives me a lot of energy. What also gives me a lot of energy is my faith. And of course, I'm also mastering all this because I have um, an incredible man next to me who uh, doesn't have any problem with taking care of children or having, doesn't have any problem with me traveling the world while I have to give a presentation somewhere. And that is very, very crucial. And this is also how we live in our home, that um, our kids see that their mother and their father are equal and we support each other and we collaborate. And uh, right now we were doing this talk. He took the kids outside um, to the playground. Last week it was raining. He went with them downstairs in the garage and they were playing football in the garage until I finished. So this also, of course, gives me a lot of strength and a lot of energy. And um, yeah, but it definitely started with my mother and the things that happened to me in my past. And whenever I remember them, I know I have to keep going and yeah, I just have to keep going. It's not just for me, it's for a lot of others. And I want to inspire others. So if you tell me I'm inspiring you, that for me means one of the things that I want to accomplish, I'm accomplishing or I've accomplished. So, well, you yes. definitely are. You inspire me every time I talk to you, to be honest. So I'm Thank just really grateful me. to have met you, to be honest. Thank you so much. And I'm also very happy that I met you and I'm getting to know all of you more and more and more. And um, yes, thank you so much for that talk. I think we could have continued for another hour. Definitely. Because we touched hours. also up on a lot of uh, yeah, serious topics. And um, of course, each of them, we could have talked. Yeah, we could have done one podcast on them. And maybe we will have another conversation in the future about something. Yes, thank you so, so much. And as my audience knows... And you too. I always honor a woman at the end of my podcast. And I was actually thinking, and my first thought was AOC, but then I changed it to Sara Ahmed. This is the person I want to honor today. She's a feminist writer, an activist, and an independent scholar. She works at the intersection of feminist, queer, and race studies. And her research is concerned with how bodies and worlds take shape and how power is secured and challenged in everyday life worlds as well as institutional cultures. Until the end of 2016, she was a professor of race and cultural studies at Goldsmiths University of London. And she resigned from her post in protest at the failure to deal with the problem of sexual harassment. And that's actually one of the reasons why I chose her today. She gave up her comfortable position at a great university because the university failed to deal with sexual harassment. And she's the author of an amazing book. She has written many books, 
but she has written the book Living a Feminist Life. And I want to finish today with a quote from this book. She says, arms, we need them to keep coming up. The arm that keeps coming up can signify persistence and protest, or perhaps even more importantly, persistence as protest. We need to give the arms something to reach for, or perhaps we are the ones being reached by the arms. After all, we know some of us are only here now on these grounds because arms and history have refused to keep laboring, to keep building or holding up the walls that secure the master's resistance. We are here because the arms were striking, because the arms are striking. Arms in history, hands that clench into fists, arms as protest signs, arms raised as salute, arms that say do not shoot. Some of us are only here now on these grounds because those arms in history have spoken, a history that is now, a history that is still. And this is how I want to finish today. And thank you so much, Amira, Phoebe and Zeynep for speaking with us and for all the great work you do. And I will upload your information on my website and on Instagram. And thank you to everyone for listening. Feel free to visit my website, salt-from-the-podcast.com for more conversations and follow me on Instagram under salt underline the podcast. And of course, contact me for questions. I'm always happy to hear from you. So thank you. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Salieri and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.